Hello, welcome to Philosophize. Today we're talking about the black hole. Hope you enjoy. Hello, Dave. Hello there, Matt. How are you, mate? I'm good. How are you? You sound really clear today for some reason. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, look, I mean, we've just bought some new equipment, haven't we? We've, 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 uh, we've invested. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We've invested. Wow. We've invested. I'm <laughs> staring now into a black hole, which is very apropos of what we're watching. So do you want to tell everyone <laughs> what film it is? <laughs> the black we, hole I'm staring into is, is what, what's, is it a spit guard? What's the special word for this, Matt? Pop filter. A pop filter. I'm staring into a pop filter like we are now for the next 35 minutes going to stare into the black hole. So, Matt, <laughs> why did you choose this film? Because of the cute robots. I thought about choosing this one after we did um, Silent Running. And I was right. just like, do you know what? Let's do something that has uh, cute robots. It's it's certainly got two very cute robots and one very, very ominous robot. But yes, very we'll talk ominous. about that in yeah. a bit, I guess. Yeah, okay. So that's good enough reason as anything, cute robots. Um, yeah. Maybe we should make sure every season has a film with cute robots in just to keep that theme going. I'm sure that will happen by accident. Are there any more like us left on board? I'm the last one. These upstarts think I'm some old freak. They still haven't improved on our model. Oh, you can't modify perfection. We are the best. Oh, Lordy. He wants a rematch. As an old Navy hero once said, damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead. He also said something about going in harm's way. Let's kick off properly by you giving us a three-minute overview of what the film's all about. Sure. So... Uh, the black hole is about a exploratory vessel which comes across the uh, to quote one of the characters the largest black hole they've ever seen. While they're investigating it, they see that a long lost exploratory vessel it's been missing for about twenty years, which is captained by a controversial scientist called Reinhardt, who was instructed to bring the ship after failing to find any new life, and they went missing. And so we begin with that mystery. <laughs> So as they board the Cygnus, they discover that there aren't any humans. There's just robots with this Reinhardt still in charge. And he intends to travel through the black hole to prove that it leads to another part of the universe and to discover extraterrestrial life. As the film continues, something just seems really off. The crew start investigating different things. And eventually they, they are told that the vast majority of these robots are actually the crew. When I told the protagonist that the crew had left and he was surprised they never made it back to Earth, whereas in fact he had turned them into robots, sort of cyborgs, in an irreversible process. So the crew try to escape, and in the end lots of things happen, as things tend to do in the final act of a film, and they go through the black hole and more things happen there. <laughs> I love the lots of things happen. Oh, we should have called the podcast that. Lots of, things, lots of happen. things happen. Lots of things yeah. happen in space. Yeah. Twenty-one thirty, day five four seven. Unscheduled course correction due at twenty-two hundred. Pre-correction check. Rotation axis plus three degrees. Nitrous oxide pressure forty-one hundred, rising to five thousand. Quad jet C and D on pre-select. Rotor ignition sequence beginning in three zero. 
Thruster line reactors on standby. Vincent, notify me with 15 to go. Alex? Yes, Dan. Have you determined a difference in ETAs with and without our correction? Working on it. You know, we shouldn't be needing a correction at this time. Vincent? Run a confirmation on the last inertial fix and check it with another celestial, please. I have. It is correct. But I think I found a reason for our present variation. Mr. Pizer? Yes, Vincent? Mr. Pizer, I think you should come up here. Let's kick off with um, one of the... This is strange. I, at first, I thought it was awful, This the, the opening scene. But on second consideration, I think it is wonderful. Which opening scene? So it's the bit when the Palomino, our protagonist's ship, is just slowly coming towards the camera. It's a really long take. And we just have all of these voices over the top of it, not cutting to the crew, not seeing anything at all. And it goes on and on forever. Vincent, who we'll find out later is one of the cute robots, Vincent is just giving us loads of details. It's blah, blah, blah's happening, this is happening. And it just goes on and on and on. It's such a weird... And then there's a conversation about oh, we're being dragged off course a bit, and what's causing it? Oh, I've noticed the black hole. And it goes on forever until the spaceship just goes off the right-hand side of the screen, and then we cut inside the spaceship. I just thought, mm. I just thought on second watch, that was just incredibly restrained. I mean, it's signalling this is a serious movie. Okay, I mean, I agree with what you've said. I hadn't really thought about it that way. However, I disagree that that is the opening scene. Oh, what's the, what's the, you mean uh, you're going to talk about all of the green computer graphics, are you? Yeah, so at the time that was actually the longest computer-generated graphics sequence that had ever been used in a film. It's a 2D representation of what a black hole is and what a black hole does. Uh, very common, where you've just basically got a grid which represents the what happens to space as it warps near um, a gravitational body. What I like about it is just you don't really notice that it's a black hole at the beginning because you're going over the flat plane. And what I like about it is it just as the black hole starts to appear, it just falls straight down it really, really quickly. The way that I think they conceptualize the black hole is it's like a maelstrom. It's more like a seafaring idea where it's just this, this vortex that you get. Basically, as soon as you see it, you end up through it. I thought that was quite cool. So both opening sequences are awesome in their own way. Yeah. You're right, though, that green lines and the way in which it was uh, sort of like sculpted in CGI was just absolutely beautiful way. And the music, the music really adds to it as well. It's got this kind of like, um, it's sort of like swaying. It sort of makes you feel seasick, like you're on a, a sailing ship and you're nearly falling overboard and like the water in a storm and stuff like that. Uh, composed by John Barry, who um, was mostly known for his um, work on the early Bond films. But um, yeah. Yeah, no, no, you're right. About that. The score is lovely and, and it returns with that main theme many, many times and mm. um, keeps repeating back at you. I think, yeah. I agree, totally. My God. Right out of Dante's Inferno. Yes. The most destructive force in the universe, Harry. Nothing can escape it, not even light. I had a professor who predicted that eventually black holes would devour the entire universe. Why not? When you can see giant suns sucked in and disappear without a trace? Give us some magnification, Vincent. Polarizing image. Every time I see one of those things, I expect to spot some guy in red with horns and a pitchfork. It's a monster, all right. Before we go on to talk about the discovery of the black hole and um, and uh, and the other stuff around that, just tell me a bit about Vincent. Why? Because you, you, there's a reason you want to watch a film. So come on, wax lyrical about Vincent to me. It wasn't necessarily Vincent himself, but um, watching Silent Running 
and then watching another film, I just remember the ingenuity from this era of sci-fi about getting an emotive response out of a hunk of plastic and clay is, you know, an incredible artistic achievement, I think. I mean, particularly when it's, you know, when it's meant to be an emotion picture rather than a cartoon or something like yeah, that. Yeah. But yeah, so um, I really like um, the design of, of Vincent, a bit like R2-D2 in the sense that he's a sort of versus army knife robot. He can do all sorts of things, but um, distinctive, the sort of hovering, and also um, has got his own full personality as well. He's competitive with other robots. He doesn't like robots of another design. Um, <laughs> and there's even a scene where he competes with this hotshot sharpshooter robot and, and defeats him or something like that. And there's this line between him and the uh, the other robot of his line called Bob, who's a bit older and messed up, where they, they keep on saying, we're the best. You know, they should have stopped making robots after us. <laughs> the sort of real camaraderie and, and, and solidarity between these different uh, these different types of robots. I mean, I, I, I agree. I think it's absolutely wonderful. It's voiced by Roddy McDowell, who's one of my favourite actors, you know, from Planet of the Apes, most famously. I just loved him. I mean... He just comes out with these sometimes philosophical, but sometimes very homely, homespun aphorisms. He's he's an aphoristic robot, you know. Uh, what's it? The, the 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 wolf remains a wolf even if it's left the sheep alone. Uh, the bigger you are, yeah. the harder you fall. <laughs> All sunshine makes a desert. The Arabs say, you know, he's just. Yeah. Goes, <laughs> he just. And he I, just... I think they absolutely nailed what um, technology would be like now i no, mean whether I that was their intention or not because that is that is the i'd say mainstream app development we have something that's cute and friendly that educates you that is the <laughs> aim of a lot of um, particularly phone apps and the way that um computer software um sort of tries to present itself as this kind of cutesy addition to your life it's <clears> only <throat> there to serve and enhances you not just in t- materially but also spiritually it's there to educate you and there's a point i mean he may have been joking but there is a point where he says to paisa the reason i do this is because i'm educating you you know sort of almost part of his core purpose is not just to provide a service but to enrich human life positively nice, nice work, work Vincent. out to the frying pan hopefully not into the fire are you all right vincent nothing a hammer and a little metal polish can't fix thank you looks like we'll have to go to them Charlie, you'll stay with the Palomino. But you, you need everyone that's got Charlie. Don't worry, Mr. Pizer. They also serve who only stand and wait. Vincent, were you programmed to bug me? No, sir, to educate you. When I volunteered for this mission, I never thought I'd end up playing straight man to a tin can. And then, look, last and absolutely by no means least, there's Maximilian, Max, this kind of dark red Cylon-like robot, Max. Mm. Talk to me about Vincent. I don't think I would have called him Max. I don't think I would have dared. Um, I mean, I, I think the design on that robot is great. I mean, again, also silent, but managed to get so much animosity. Um, it was unfavorably compared to Darth Vader at the time, but I really don't think that's fair. Um, it's its own distinct design. Oh, people that do comparisons, I don't know why they bother. It's pointless. Anyway, carry on. Or I'll rant. Yeah, I don't, you know, just because something is similar doesn't mean that's a bad thing. It's sort of like the opposite of creativity to try and say, oh, it's it's clearly influenced by Sansa. Of course it is. There's a really distinctive moment in film Star Wars. Of course, things are going to be inspired by it. But Max is so, Maximilian is so intimidating. I think in part through his silence and 
and again, a huge amount of expression, which it's a much more limited model than the Vincent model. Clearly, they put a lot of work into how the Vincent model could emote. Whereas all, all Maximilian does is hover and turn his head and then his eyes glow in, in certain certain colours. And you just get the sense of he has such contempt for everyone that he's engaging with. There's even friction between him and Reinhardt. Well, indeed. A- Absolutely, because he abandons him at the end, doesn't he? I mean, when, when Reinhardt's caught under um, the, the, his flat screen, falls on him, and who hasn't that yeah. happened to? Um, <laughs> when he's caught under his flat screen... Um, there's a beautiful shot of um, the camera's sort of like got in the in the in the background. You know, Reinhardt mm. caught under the flat screen, waving his arms, going "Max, Max, help!" And Max just pauses for a second, and then comes towards the camera, passes off screen, goes into a lift, the doors close, just abandons him. And I mm. thought that was, I think, a lot of with Max, a lot of heavy lifting's also done by the camera as well. I mean, the cinematography mm. is great. For instance, there, there's one moment when. Um, it's around the time when Durant, Anthony Perkins, is just about to get killed and they've discovered the cyborgs are, are repurposed crew members and all that. And they're having this kind of intense conversation and you can see that um, Reinhardt's getting upset with Cray and Durant and the camera just pans up to the right, up, up, up. He, you hit Vincent's body up to his face and just the red, mm. he's listening. He's monitoring, he's seeing what's going on. That's a wonderful piece of cinematography, and I think absolutely it isn't just design, right? These, you know, you can't just put these robots in front of a camera and hope they'll they'll work. I mean, you have to shoot mm. this stuff properly. So Maximilian's shot absolutely beautifully in the shadows, always lurking, always watching, always sort of like being in there. <laughs> Identify yourself. What is your type and model? Yeah, so one of the things I really, really liked about this was the way in which they set up the uh, the idea of the black hole, the, and I mean the idea of the black hole very early on. So... Um, they've discovered we cut inside the spaceship after that those two really long takes of the intro scenes. We cut inside mm-hmm. the spaceship. Everyone's floating around. All the characters are having a conversation, and it goes something like this: You know, Vincent, it's the largest black hole I've ever encountered. Harry, the reporter, right out of Dante's Inferno. The the scientist, the most destructive force in the universe, McCrae. Um, says, I had a professor who predicted black holes would devour the whole universe. Uh, then I think it's Pfizer who says, I expect, I, you know, I expect to spot some guy in red with horns and a pitchfork coming out of it. <laughs> Another one says, a monster. It's a rip in the very fabric and space and time. This is all in, this is just one moment of conversation. Mm. And they set up a very, I mean, it's there with the Dante in hell and the pitchfork and the devil and devouring, all of those tropes are set up in that moment. Yeah. And I think that's a stunning piece of a conversation, right, giving you a theme without actually full-on alluding to it. And then yeah. there's a second thing that happens, which I think is absolutely wonderful. After this conversation, they discover that the Cygnus is sitting there floating in front of it. And, you know, we hear a bit about the ship. Uh, McRae's father was on it, but really... They, they start talking about Hans Reindart, the, the commander, you know, and um, 
Durant's got a lot of respect for him, calling him the commander. Old Harry, the reporter, thinks he's a bit of a crank, you know. So he says, it must have galled Hans Reinhardt that his mission failed and all of this, that and the other. But mm. then um, Durant goes, no, he's a legend. And Harry's like, so he believed, you know, he had the knack of making his own ambitions seem like a matter of, you know, national significance, you know, but it caused the most expensive fiasco ever. He wouldn't admit to his mistake. He refused to be recalled. And there's the ship hanging there, sort of like, how's he done this? How has he done this? And I think there is a real kind of kind of slip there from the black hole to Reinhardt. Reinhardt is a human black hole, so to speak. He is a devil. It's like they're Russian dolls, yeah? You've got the black hole. You've got the USS Sigmus. You've then got Reinhardt. And then you've got Maximilian. And they're all kind of like aligned and joined up together in this kind of vision of hell and the devil, you know, where where Reinhardt is the central figure who's this kind of devil figure, this, this, this kind of like horrible, evil figure who's going to do something, you know, that could really uh, destroy the universe, so to speak. So I thought that way in which it's set up and the anticipation that sets up for how the movie's going to play out in the middle sections, absolutely wonderful. But of course, it sets up the themes and sets up what's going to happen visually at the end of the film. Definitely. And I think you're right about that uh, resonance between the black hole and, um, and Reinhardt, because much of the sort of the middle of the film is about the problems of what do we do with this great man? You know, this, this great man who's um, able to do all of these um, great um, scientific discoveries. He's invented a new form of, of power. He's, you know, just all of these different things are sort of flying off him. Great things, supposedly, for the progress of humankind and technology. But he's dangerous. On the one hand, he's an origin of things. On the other hand, he's totally uncontrollable as well. Uh, which is a bit, again, a bit like a black hole because insofar as they're a black hole, there's this sort of great threat and, you know, the way that the film portrays it is this, it could just hoover up everything in the universe. But uh, black holes are created by the after effect of a supernova, which is the origin of all the stuff that makes life possible in the modern understanding of the origin of uh, solar systems and so forth. I think that's really good, Matt. Yeah, I, I like that. That, it, that it's that it's aligned on a thematic level. I think he says at one point, Reinhardt says something along the lines of, some cause must have created this black hole, but what mm. caused that cause? You know? Yeah. And he does see himself as a prime mover. He, I mean, he sees himself yeah. as, as a god, but he's painted as a devil. Yeah, absolutely. He's basically Elon Musk. <laughs> And, and I mean, the way that I've sort of put this is almost, you know, I hesitate using phrases like great man, but I'm doing that ironically for the listeners. You know, it's there's a, you know, there's a problem with looking at people in that way and just sort of accepting what awful people do because they happen to be producing useful things and sort of ignoring the fact that they're awful and dangerous and do bad things at the same time. And I think the film feels that as well because Reinhardt is certainly a threat. Um, they all end up falling into this black hole and it's dangerous and he's killed all of these people and the ends don't justify the means. He promises that he's going to prove the ends justify the means and he doesn't. He fails utterly to do that. It's this untamed evil genius with the emphasis on evil. Reinhardt will solve the one final mystery that has eluded mankind. 
or he'll die in the attempt. Alex, I'm beginning to feel you want to go with him. On a glorious pilgrimage, straight into what may be the mind of God? I do. I do. And darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Apparently, Neil deGrasse Tyson has described this film as the least scientifically accurate film ever. Oh, okay. Can we have some fun with that? Um, least scientifically accurate film ever. Sure, there's a few in that category. Ten Commandments. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's obviously hyperbole, but let's yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, anyway, I mean, let's, let's talk about let's the, talk the about it. Let's, let's talk, talk about, about the it. central. So, like, the, the the central point of contention there is that um, the description of the black hole is it's almost like. They're on a precipice, and if they tip over, I think uh, Reinhardt says just one step and we fall straight into it, um, and they're all mystified about how it's been able to not fall off the precipice, and it, there's this idea of the anti-gravity field. That's not how black holes work. They're gravitatory bodies like any other, and it is possible to orbit them. It obviously wasn't a priority for them, but I think that's a good thing because I really dislike the phrase um, that good science fiction is based on science fact. I don't think that's true. I think science facts tend to ruin sci-fi. They stifle creativity they limit the things that we can we can talk about and for me good science fiction doesn't really worry too much about its scientific accuracy i mean star trek is usually described as this you know grounded on proper science and so forth it's not you know basically it's just got really good techno babble it's got really good sciencey sounding um dialogue yeah i I agree with you i agree with you i mean it's like saying you know zombies don't exist why watch a zombie movie i I just cut it off at the knees uh in a sense, the film has to set up its own mythology, and I can see why some people yeah. get upset by it. It has to set up its own but it's rules. But it's not necessary, and... yeah. It's not, it's not necessary. Yeah. It's a piece of art. It's not a piece of yeah. science. And I, and I think it's good for a film to allow a sense of mystery. This is something we talked about when we looked at Fifth Element, where you know it's, it's sometimes it's good to not really fully know what was going on in a story and leave some questions unanswered because that's where the space for imagination is there's there's creativity involved in now as to say i'm not i'm not being anti-science here you know um but i don't think science and science fact are the same thing you know science is all also about mystery and trying to find answers to questions and you know facts in part not entirely but in part help form a theory that allows us to answer certain questions but that's not something you necessarily need in a sci-fi film. I think the word necessary is is the right word. The word is not necessary. Absolutely. And so that leads us to the um, the ending that I certainly didn't remember, which is that nah. they fall into the black hole. And um... let's take a moment with this. Let's just step through this, right? It is an incredible piece of filmmaking. And first of all, he's got to say it's all done in si- it's all done in silence and with music. There's, yeah, like uh, uh, 2001. It is very 2001. It's definitely riff, riffing off 2001. Um, it's not as yeah. long as 2001. But, uh, Thank God. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, so basically the setup is the, the crew of the Palomino, their ship gets blown up because Harry, one of those classic scenes of cowardice when someone runs away. So what they do is they sequester the pod. Meanwhile, Maximilian has been destroyed and Reinhardt has been killed, so they think, yeah. They're in the pod and they head straight into this, this black hole. And the cameras kind of do these circling jump cuts around their faces with words and dialogue echoing in each of those and cut through each of the crew. And then there's complete silence. And then, boof, we see this figure 
floating through space, and it's Reinhardt. And then it, he meets Maximilian the robot, and they kind of merge somehow. And then we cut to this kind of fiery red planet. Yep, and Maximilian is standing on a rock, and he's now got um, Reinhardt's eyes within him. They've somehow kind of merged. Yep. So here's a Russian yeah. doll thing coming back, the theme of the Russian doll coming back in force. Now they've all collapsed into each other. The ship's collapsed into the black hole. The black hole's collapsed. You know, Reinhardt's collapsed into Vincent. And the, the camera's, oh, it's just a beautiful shot. Camera just pans backwards, 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 and then descends down. And we see kind of like these, this procession of figures walking along a fiery hole. And it comes out, it's just a long shot of fire and diddle, 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 And then we cut to the spaceship and the pod comes through. The characters come out the other side. You've but, missed a hold bit. Hold up, I've missed a bit, haven't I? There's the, the kind of... The what, angel. The crystal corridor that kind of appears mm -hmm. over the top and the camera goes into it and there's an angel fluttering. And then we cut to the crew and the last shot is a planet haloed against the sun and them heading towards it. I mean, it's 10 minutes, there's not a word in it. Yep, it's kind of like mm. the opposite of how the film started, where it was very dull shots, yeah, and lots of talking. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a complete, I mean, it's thematically consistent, and it's just flipped that totally on its head, and we've got that lovely, lovely shot. So as a film, as a filmic um, way in which to do something, wonderful. Is there a but? Is there a but? I mean, people say there's a but, but is there a but? Um, I I don't think I don't think there is. I mean, there's a sort of like, wow, this is not where I expected the film to go. You know, it's shocking. It's um completely out there. And I, and I think you know, talking a bit about the background of the making of it is worth doing. I won't do this at length, um, but we'll have some links if you want to learn more. But basically, they didn't know what the ending was going to be until post production. No one was allowed to see the end of the script because the end of the script just said, and they went into the black hole, and they weren't oh, right. even sure they wanted to do that. Um, and then the end, they come up with this great idea. What they wanted was to have the shot that ends up in there of uh, Dr. Kate McRae's eye, and then that was going to merge into the eye of Adam on the Sistine Chapel, and then they would pull back, and um, the crew would be the cherubs behind God. <laughs> and they got permission, they got to the extent well, of having permission, permission from God. From, well, they got permission from the Vatican oh, right, to yeah, go and okay. film there, and they were going to do Same it. thing, and, isn't it? But yeah, yeah. And then, well, yeah. <laughs> And then, and then Disney said, hang on, that's a bit on the nose, isn't it? <laughs> and do you want to do something a bit less overtly religious, please? And they nix it. And so they come up with the thing that they got there. So it's it to me, I think that legitimizes the Christian reading of it, which is that what you're seeing is Maximilian is has become the king of hell and all the people are underneath it. And then there's there is it is an angel. It's not, I mean, there's some versions of it, it's like an ESP version of McRae who's leading the ship out of the I think that tries to make too much sense of it. You know, inside yeah, a black hole okay. in this this in this um mythos is heaven and hell. Certainly there's no scientific reasons for believing that. However, if you define as Stephen Hawking does the uh black hole as the point at which space and time cease to exist, that would also be how Christian theology would describe the point at which God's starts to exist but they're not beyond life though are they that's the crucial no. point here you know yeah so they, they go into a place beyond space and time yes. and you know the, the way in which um the west has thought about the place beyond space and time for thousands of years has been heaven and hell 
But it's a secular, my point would be, it's a, there's almost a secularization of it because they haven't, or have they died? Oh, okay, this is interesting, right? The, the crucial point is you can't enter a black hole that, you know, and come out the other side as such like this. Yeah, that's, that's, that's surely one of Tyson's points, isn't it? Yeah, um, I would say so. So, but in the film, to all intents and purposes, yeah, the dead Reinhardt, who's been floating in space for a while, who we would think must be dead or be near death, yeah, merges with the robot. But, you know, there is a certain version where you could say that he merged with the robot at a certain point before he completely died and the, and the robot becomes his life support system, yeah? Mm. There's also the fact that the crew seems to get through and head off to a new planet, which haloed by a sun, yeah? Because the whole film is kind of sort of like based upon the kind of like background narrative of they're looking for somewhere to settle in space. They've been looking for it in outer space. They've been looking for it for decades and decades and not found anywhere. But going through that, the film seems to say, look, here's the promise of a new planet. Yep, here's yeah. that promise. So it's, they seem to have all survived. They all seem to have come through, and it's a, it's a you know, matter. This isn't beyond death. This is just another part of space that's been hidden. Hell and this heavenly planet are in another part of space. I'm not sure I buy that as a, as a reading of it, because um, the planet comes after they seem to escape the black hole. I think the you know the cor the heavenly corridor and the hellscape are meant to be what is happening inside the black hole. I mean I, t I mean to be fair at the time it was still postulated that a white hole could be something that existed and it would be possible for you to travel through a black hole and leave at the other end which I th I think is now widely not believed anymore in in terms of how how they're thought of um but no I, th I think the real threat is it's not that secular the problem is it merges the theological and the scientific so what you've got there is this film made by disney you know con very conservative family values american company saying the location of heaven and hell is in a black hole i.e something supernatural and sort of meant to be on the the descriptions of science is actually located in an object of science. And I think, I think that is probably the hesitation between doing the, the more explicit religious ending, where, where it would have literally been God and Adam <laughs> that they found um, through the black hole. I know, I'm fine with that. I, but we've got to deal with what's on screen. I, I suppose at the end of the day, it's deliberately ambiguous. Oh, it's, it's certainly deliberately ambiguous. The point I think isn't ambiguous is that the planet is outside the black hole. I think the black hole sequence has ended, and then yeah, oh no, no, planet. absolutely. Sorry, yeah, they've gone through yeah. the black hole, and they're they're in this new space. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I would say you've got normal space time, then you go, then you've got the black hole where heaven and hell are, or or the hellscape and the the heavenly corridor, and then back to normal space time. Yeah. Once they and the, the promise planet. of a new planet and a new life and a yeah. new world and all of that, be you know the new horizons. So it's got yeah. very much that kind of like you know. Um, a colonization kind of i mean they talk about colonizing other planets at some point there's that kind of we, we you you and you started talking about how the music was very queasy almost like uh you know being on board a ship and yeah. and at the at the beginning of the film uh, so i'm seeing now that this is all thematically consistent now you know at the beginning of the film with the green uh cgi stuff it's like you know a, a, a vortex in the water dragging them down it's almost like that they've gone to a new world
So, Dave, is there anything that we didn't cover that you'd like to mention? Just that um, I love the character of Harry, that grisly old reporter in space. Right, reminds me of <laughs> um, of, uh, of one of the early um, uh, Flash Gordon serials. This young reporter, but they took a reporter into space. Then he's, he's kind of stowed away. But I love mm. he's got gnarly old things and some of his comments. And one of them was um, they discover the Cygnus and and that the ship has been stolen. So a really big ship, you know. And he, one of his quips is, yeah, just think of all the U.S. tax dollars that went to waste on that, you know, not bringing it back. Uh, the, the film, in <laughs> other words, is still very grounded in nation states, in, yeah. in, in the way in which we operate now. You know, there's no corporations here or anything like that. These are, these are nation states. When they go through and look at all the different spaceships that are lost in space or that are out there, they thought, you know, they're all identified yeah. with certain nations. And I like that kind of grounding and it, it kind of resonates with them floating around their own ships uh, so yeah that's i just love that that kind of attention to detail but that world what you would call world building that's a re- that's a really great point it does feel very much near future you know it's part of that optimism that we could have been in on the moon by the turn of the millennium mm. uh, sort of view and on the, what the future could be what about you matt anything to round things off with not from me, but I just want to say that I did a bit of extra research for this one, and the story of the production of this film is absolutely fascinating. In our further reading thing on our website and and Twitter and stuff, we'll um, put a couple of links to a, a long article that interviews um, some of the people behind the production, and also to a video from Good Bad Flicks, who does a, a 40-odd minute YouTube video essay talking about how the film was made, which is absolutely brilliant. Um, so um, I'd certainly recommend doing that. Cool. I'll I'll listen to that myself, actually. So good on you. Cool. Excellent. Yeah. Wow. We've actually ended it in a professional way. Surely we've got time to find. <laughs>